Hey, all you fish heads out there. My name is Smokin' Joe, and I have some questions. Do you have fish? Yeah. Do you love your fish? Yeah. Do you love your fish enough to buy them their own song? Oh, yeah. Who needs another castle for the tank when you can have a custom tune made for your favorite finned friend? It's easy. You tell me about your fish. I have the best fish. You pick a genre of music. Any genre. I make you a song. From metal to Irish folk. From EDM to funk to punk. I'd love to make a song for you. Visit www.smokinjoeonline.com to fill out your inquiry today. That's www.smokinjoeonline.com today. Hi, Scrapjaw here. I've been up way too late working on this ad. But you know what it's not too late for? Going to joeshroomshack.com and placing an order using the aquarium guys at checkout for a 15% discount on my entire order. With a wide variety of available shrimp and crawfish species to suit my fancy, Joe is there to help. Joe also keeps a ready supply of shrimp king foods, tissue cultured plants, and moss filtration equipment, and plenty of other odds and ends. But let's not forget his most famous products, the Chola Wood by the Inch, and the most prized item in very limited quantities, Aquarium Guys Certified Shrimp Bath Water. Yes, that's right. Just use our promo code Aquarium Guys at checkout to get your 15% discount and help support the podcast, Joe Shrimp Shack working tirelessly so you don't have to. Also, I'd like to mention that this podcast was fairly long. It was over two hours that we spent with Matt Peterson of Amazonas Magazine, senior editor. Uh, So, that being said, this is part one that will be an hour long, and part two shall also be an hour long that you could pick up next week. So now it's bedtime for me, but you guys can enjoy the show. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Hi, Jimmy. Robbie, what's going on? What you got for news this week? News? I've got no news. I We got through the big deep freeze, and now we're a few weeks away from spring. So on the uh, way in here, you were telling me that you're now broke because of all the uh, plants and fish you got by mistake? <clears throat> yeah, last week I ordered uh, from our friends from Aquanautics, and they sent me tons and tons and tons of plants in a cardboard box when it was 35 below. So that was rather expensive. And Damn. Uh, Anyway, but the fish all came in good, and the shrimp came in good, so I'll make money back on that. Hell yeah. Well, uh, I'm Rob Zolson. I'm Jim Colby. And I'm Adam on the Shire. So this week, we have the special guest, as a return guest for the third time now, Matt Pedersen. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back again. You are King Pow Wow of the Amazonas Magazine, and uh, might we say that finally, you peer pressured my ass into uh, begging <laughs> Jimmy to get it for me for Christmas. 
And I did. <laughs> and I did. Awesome. Good job. Thank you. Yes, it is. Are you able to eat? It's finally. Yeah, I bed. wanted your. I wanted you guys to be able to have a little snack, so I bought Rob's a Rob's a little subscription. Got got well, me the copy. Rob steals it. Yeah, I was tired of Rob stealing it for my house. Actually, it was just kind of for myself. It was all about. And then uh, Adam got us uh, another uh, fantastic magazine. Uh, what'd you get us, Adam? Huh? You got Jimmy two copies, and I got one. No, no, no. Jim's wife got him a copy, and I got him a copy. So, so what, what two copies did you get twice there, Jimmy? Yeah, and I will for the next year. Apparently, uh, Jimmy's been collecting all the, the fishkeeping magazines. I've had, I've had uh, Tropical Fish magazine since I was 16, 17 years old. So probably since 1979, 1980. And uh, I've got all the Amazonas. And I kind of forgot about Tropical Fish Hobbyist. Discovered it, I think Barnes and Noble or something, and my wife saw it, and and so she ordered it for me. And in the same day, I got two copies, and I knew Adam had ordered one for me for Christmas. And she goes, "Oh, I can't believe it's already here." I said, "What?" She goes, "The magazine I ordered for you." I said, "Oh, that explains why I have two copies." See, now I have to expect you. Like Jimmy buys Amazonas for everyone, Adam buys Tropical Fish magazine for everyone. I just need to get you know PKF, and now we have the full trifecta. There we go. What's PKF? I don't know. What? Oh. Practical fish keeping. See that—that's what the people hey, over that still exists over across the pond. That's that's huge over there for them, uh, them Brits. Okay. Well, Matt, uh, super excited to have you on. And the, today's topic, we're going to talk to you because there's—I don't think anybody's better than you to talk about clownfish. And might we put rest okay. in peace about uh, your 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 poor lightning? Yes. Moment of silence. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Scrap. We will talk soon, go into a deep dive, and uh, ask you why that that's relevant to the uh, clownfish hobby. But uh, we got uh, a few things to go over. So, number one, uh, I, I like getting random gifts. And, you know, I feel like we should talk about more written material, especially since we have the peer pressure of a gentleman from a, from a magazine coming on. So, uh, I was given a gift, and I love these w- weird gifts I get from my friends. They're like, oh, you like fish, and then I get random shit thrown at me. So normally it's like an old Walmart accessory, like a retarded SpongeBob, the SquarePants figurine that's chipped and nasty. But on this occasion, I was given a pretty cool little gift. Fishes, an introduction to ichthyology uh, by Peter Moyle and Joseph, I don't know how you say that, Chet, C-E-C-H. So I've been starting to go in and I'm not going to lie, Jimmy, uh, this is actually interesting because the last time I pretended to like anatomy... It was to get after that cute redhead in high school. <laughs> so now you didn't get the cute redhead. Nah, he wanted. Right, wanted. I'm I'm impressed. That's a nice book, but I'm even more impressed that you can read. Actually, I know. So uh, there's not as many pictures as I was hoping, uh, or colors. In a, here, a lot of them but... black and white. Maybe you could maybe you could color them in with a pencil or something. But it is pretty great. There was a bunch of squished leaf clovers in here when I opened it up. So I feel like that's what they were using the book for. <laughs> For the print on the front looks like it's out of the 70s. What's the, what's the, the published date on it? Oh, boy. Hold on. It's got he a funky... I feel like... a real funky looking... You find those like in the first couple pages, don't you? 82. So 82. Okay. That's the year I was born. Yeah. Shit, this is old. That's the year, oh, my I, God. That's the year I graduated, you freaking punks. Holy shit. <laughs> this is, this is going to go... Uh, caveman era right there. No other news, Jimmy? I've got nothing, man. 
as an aquarium status update for for you listeners, uh, we're getting 150 more pieces of cholo wood sent to us by Maverick. I need some. Otherwise known in our community as the Gemtang Poontang. Yep. Yep, because there's a lot of different tanks out there. Poontang is by far one of the most exclusive and rare saltwater varieties. So uh, thank you for that, Mr. Poontang. Uh, And we are now going to use them as Lincoln Logs to uh, assemble some sort of... I have been busy taking the Chola wood and some volcanic rock, and I've been putting um, Anubis on them, and I'm selling the crap out of them. And I'm able to pick up Anubis for uh, next to nothing, and uh, I put the Anubis on the Chola wood and been selling it at my store, and people are going crazy. And so now I bought volcanic rock this this weekend when I was in, out in Bismarck, North Dakota. I ordered some fluval super glue to super glue them onto the rock and uh, everything I've read says you, you super glue it on or leave it on there for five to six weeks and they'll actually hold on to it by themselves. So I've been putting the Cholo wood to good use. Unlike Rob, who's playing Lincoln logs. Um, Honestly, how, if you had so much chicks and Cholo wood, wouldn't you build a house with it? No, 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 no. no. It'd be no. a shrimpy sized house. Yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting it to good use. All right. I'll take the L on this one. All right, so we have some uh, listener uh, questions here submitted to us. Uh, Laura wants to uh, ask some questions. Love your podcast, and guys, I'm not just saying that so you'll answer my question. Right? She wanted to establish that. That's a good way to start. That is it. I have uh, two tens and a five-gallon and super happy, including a the stupid trumpet snail that hitchhike from some plants. The parameters of the tanks are perfect. Bought a used... Set your tank on fire. Set my tank on fire. <laughs> Fixed it. Bought a used 37-gallon tank, set it up. I used Plant Carob C Floramax. Uh, I'm not familiar with that that brand. Is that part of the Fluval ones? Could be. Yeah. And Fluval strat- Stratum. So it's not. Apparently, she makes uh, two different types. I, I'm not a big fan of the Fluval strat- uh, Stratum stuff. It's really, really messy compared to the other stuff. Uh, yeah, especially for the huge price. But, yeah, I mean, it does the job. I can't say I've ever had bad plants growing it. Um, hoping to have in a planted aquarium, which I will take a lot longer since now I have snails on everything. Anyway, never used the substrate before, so this is new to me. I'm using the same water for all the tanks. Uh, well, water, so no chlorine or anything. I put some filter medium to the new uh, tank filters. I bought three Endler guppies and put them in there. The first one died on day two. The second one died at day three. I moved the remaining to the tens. pH was six in the new tank. Uh, is this because of substrate? Is there something else I need to do? I was planning on moving my fish, uh, my granddaughter this weekend. Obviously, this can't happen. Is there anything I should uh, test I should be doing? So it, it sounds like uh, it, it was rushed. I, I hear nothing about a cycle being established or, or looking for that. So this may be a rather new person. So if you're listening to this, Make sure to establish the cycle, and we need to do a podcast on the cycle, Jimmy. We've been ignoring it for far too long. There are way too many beginners that need to know more about the cycle. So uh, future uh, stuff to come, but certainly uh, you can look them up. We'll have resources in the podcast notes for how to establish your cycle, but that's going to take a process of normally two weeks. Establish your cycle in your tank, and then if you're using substrate like that, let it settle. Give it some time for the filters to do their work so you can get all the particles picked out of it, especially with fluval stratum, which is just a, a cloud of muck. Well, but she has a Malaysian trumpet snail in it, so she might as well put the whole tank on fire and start over. Well, the Malaysian trumpet snail is basically a sniper in the trees killing 
feeder guppies. Is that's that exactly is that what it is? They're, yes, they're gorilla gorilla snipers. sniper. Uh, if, if you've got one trumpet snail, you've got ten thousand. Okay. Yeah. Now Matt's okay. just smiling. Uh, that that information is not at all factual. However, you probably do have a ton of trumpet snails. Uh, for, for those that don't know, if you're Jimmy continually for many episodes made fun of trumpet snails, but if you feel like, oh, I don't have that many, you have a ton and they come out at night. So turn the yeah. light off your tank, put a plate out, put a chunk of food in the middle of a white plate and let it sit for a few hours in complete and utter blackness and then see how many millions of baby trumpet snails you have. So I know I have a million in one of my tanks that is quarantined from the rest of my tank forever. Uh, I pulled out the Fluval F4 unit out of my 75 tank. Is, that a, is that a gun? I have not seen a trumpet snail in that tank because I have loaches and all kinds of shit for probably a year. I take out the canister filter and the entire sponge on the top of the Fluval F4 is completely caked. It's like hard, cr- chunky peanut butter because it just fills so much with peanut, uh, those snails. Yeah, because they get eaten in the main tank, so they hide in the canister filter. Exactly. They are they are devil incarnate. See, I feel like Matt has some input on this. Not really. No. <laughs> not, not, He's just I, giggling at the gorilla sniper comment. So are, are, are you are you pro or con trumpet snail? Pro or con? Come on, Matt. I don't have any, so I guess I'm con. See, there who, you go. who needs politics when we can have real controversies such as pro or or against trumpet snails you know i'll just tell you a quick story about i I had a 125 gallon tank full of baby angelfish and i knew i had a few trumpet snails in there didn't really pay any attention and i did just that i put down a 10 inch dinner plate with a big um, piece of zucchini or something that i had and i'm not kidding you i took out about seven pounds of trumpet snails over the course of two weeks thinking i had gotten them all you know and then meanwhile, going, why aren't my goddamn angelfish growing? You know, I'm feeding them brine shrimp twice a day. I'm, they're getting flaked twice a day, and they're not growing. Well, the trumpet snails soak up all the calcium in the goddamn tank because they're making their shells. And um, after, after doing many, many water changes and getting the trumpet snails under control, I mean, never got rid of them. But uh, then my, my fish took off, for, for and people told me I was crazy, but I really believe that's true, that that because of the calcium deficiencies that are in the water because all the, the snails are sucking it all up. What do you think? Is that, does that sound right, Matt? I, I need a calcium test to tell you if that's true or not, but it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I actually I'll, had some I can add some that. anecdotal info to that because I've, I had noticed some uh, bent spines in some of my guppies, with, uh, and I just have ram's horns. So the fix for me was throwing a cuddle bone or like one of those things you buy for your bird to, to peck at. I just threw that in a 20-gallon and no more problems with the bent spines. I don't have issues with bent spines in my tank, but I, I have thousands of Placos, as you know, Jimmy, and they were starting to not grow so fast. So well, that's because you didn't do water changes. I do do water changes. I do them quite often in that tank just for the sake of thousands of fish stuck in a 90 cube. Uh, in there, I looked at my mass amounts of ramshorn snails and found that some of the snails were getting quite whited, brittle, broken. So I did the same thing and I suddenly had no more growth issues as much like they it, ex- it certainly expedited growth. I didn't have any like bent spines or anything, but uh, I feel like that if you're, there's not a lot of resources in the water, what can the fish do? Next question. We have Michael, he uh, messages in to put a note. So in one of our prior podcasts, uh, not too long ago, we talked a little bit about 
different, I think it was in the uh, setup to fail episode where we talked about certain fish and why certain fish are set up to fail is most of the time because people haven't done their homework or they're being spun in some other direction. And one of them that we put up is puffers. There's a huge puffer craze. And most puffers have a rigid uh, feeding schedule type of food. I mean, there, there's a lot more to it than just keeping like a normal fish because of beak grinding, special food, snails, stuff like that, clams. And lumped in there uh, was mentioned about pea puffers. Now, I want to clarify on here. He says... Uh, they are not brackish at all, and they do not wear down their beaks on snails or uh, like other puffers. Please fix this. So you're, you're not all wrong there. Uh, I don't know how that was insinuated. I think puffers got batched uh, into that. We probably threw them the all puffers got batched into that. And pea puffers definitely uh, like more salt. They're not a full-on brackish fish. I use them with salt with a lot better success. And as far as wearing down their beak, I, I've never seen any need for that. But I do still feed them snails. They go better. They grow better. They feed better. If I have a large amount of small snails in the tank for them to hunt, they're a happier fish overall. But I don't have beak issues like you have on the other puffers. I do something really interesting with my pea puffer. I have a 20 long up top, and then I have my pea puffer in my five gallon. And speaking of having a constant supply, I have the ram's horns in my 20 gallon and they, when they're on the cholo wood, I just swap the cholo wood out from tank to tank. And then he's always got food. As long as you're okay with uh, both tanks being quarantined, that's a fantastic process. I I do have one thing that I forgot about. I was going to talk about real quick. Do it. Um, Last week, some people were asking or two weeks ago about uh, discus and and where to get good quality discus. And I had originally said Ken's fish, which was wrong. I meant Kenny's discus is what I meant. Now, Kenny's discus is now permanently closed. Uh, what Ken- did you do, Jimmy? No. Unfortunately, Kenny got diagnosed uh, with something terminal, and um, he's spending his last few months with his family. And so they're asking people, do not um, call, you know, just send him well wishes, but he's not going to be able to respond to anything and stuff. So if you were... Uh, you know, go on to contact Kenny's discus and stuff. I'm just here to tell you that I got an email from them the other day saying that uh, he doesn't have much longer to live and uh, he wants to spend the time with his family and stuff. So unfortunately, um, you know, he's got great discus, uh, but unfortunately he's closing permanently. So that's horrible. I reached out like a year ago to have him on the podcast and he was a bit busy then. Yes. So very unfortunate. Well, I think we need to pick up another mood with another question. We only have a couple more. Uh, Grady message in uh asking permission to ask a question so i said of course ask a question here uh said thank you i appreciate that would love to know if you guys have any experience with silver dollars and wondering if you have any tips for them and what would go well with them uh make a biotype maybe for them so jimmy what's your experience in silver dollars i sell a lot of silver dollars i don't like them they get really big i'm not a fan of them um they become pretty pretty evil when they get large and stuff. So, um, as long as you're prepared to have a very large fish, I mean, it's a very flashy fish when it's, you know, four or five inches big, but I'm just not a fan. Uh, any experience I've had with them has been really hardy fish, uh, interactive with you, not with other fish, uh, in the tank. And if you're going to have them with anything, if you're going to have them with anything, I would certainly recommend, uh, making it bigger or just keeping them alone. A nice school of silver dollars with nice tall plants where they could, uh, you know, swim through, hide behind, and have some shade do a lot better for their aggression. And they school very well. 
Um, they, they live quite a hefty long time and you can also get fun, uh, patterns on them. So good fish, definitely do your homework that they're not going to stay nice and hatchet fish sized forever. They grow very fast. Any other additions to that, Matt? I love them. I like putting them in with cichlids and big, you know, big, they're, they're good tank mates for bigger fish. It's like kind of throwing the NFL linebackers in. With the rest of the team. See, Jimmy hates cichlids, so this would be... Uh, I don't hate cichlids. This would be why. Just, I, I don't know. Every considered t- a cichlid. Every time that... Well, that, they, they go in a lot of cichlid oh, no, they're, no, they're, they're a tetra, but, I mean, you know, if you're going to have some South American larger cichlids, uh, you know, it's a possible candidate with the right fish. And there's some really beautiful silver dollars. Like, I, I'm really a real big fan of... Um, I think they're calling it the blackberry. That's one to go look up. It's very expensive because it's a strain that's bred but uh the tiger uh silver dollars have come down in price since they're being produced in florida uh those are really fantastic last question and i think this will be jimmy's favorite again we might do these out of order so forgive us if you're listening to this out of order we had a gentleman named matt that decided to uh, compare us to howard stern and care enough about our podcast to let us know that one of our particular episodes suck shit (laughs) just one episode uh, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot more than that, man. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he's new, but uh, we, we certainly appreciated his feedback and uh, gave him correct information. So he has now come back after that and said, thank you, because we wrote him a rebuttal and talked about it on the podcast. Uh, and said, thank you for your response. Now I have a question. So he went from telling us off and saying our podcast sucks, especially this particular episode, and that we're like Howard Stern, and he doesn't like that BS. To immediately transitioning to a full question. Oh, good. So we gave the wrong answer. No, I feel like we just gave him such a good answer back. Sure. He now trusts us. So we won't break that trust now, Jimmy. Uh, He says, I have a question. I want to set up a small shrimp tank for breeding tanks uh, in a row on a tank. I build above my desk. I understand I had, (coughs) excuse me. I understand the idea of greater volume, the more stable the water uh, is. And that is also a big consideration. It will be in a bedroom with sponge air filtration and shrimp substrate. And I'm assuming he's meeting uh, volcanic ash clay like they do in those little balls. It's a uh, pre-made media. You can certainly find it at uh, different places. Even Joe, uh, Joe Shrimp Shack has it. Um, I was thinking either four 10 gallons or five five gallons with the short side facing out. Any reason I should not do um, either besides water stability. And he's going to put this in his bedroom? Yes. He's wow. making a bedroom tank because clearly his bed doesn't rock near as much as yours, Jimmy. That's true. <laughs> I, I love aquariums as much as the next person. I've got 40 downstairs in my basement, and it, I just got done insulating my entire fish room, so I don't have to listen to the bubbling. So my first question is, do you want to listen to the bubbling all night long in, in, in your Hey, in that, your, in that your bedroom? soothes me. I sleep to that shit. That's how I go to sleep, yeah. Really? Honestly. It's, yep. a, it's a fan or bubbles? See, I have to have a fan running. I like the white noise and stuff. I just feel like as often as you have the tequila virus, it might make you want to pee. I do get the tequila virus now and then. So, I mean, I would start out with with uh, fives just for the, the size. He said fives or tens, right? Fives or tens. I, and I would start out with fives, and that way you can keep uh, a nice assortment because you want to keep your shrimp separate. You want to keep your red separate from your blues, from your greens and stuff. And, and start out there. Even though the price of a 10-gallon tank is cheaper than a 5-gallon tank. so But I, I would personally start out with 5-gallon tank just to see how it goes for you. And you could always add on from that and stuff. But um, 
it's going to take quite a bit of room on a shelf uh, to do 10 gallon tanks across. You're talking, even at, at the short way, you're still well, talking about uh, five feet. Apparently he did the math. So that it fits. All right. I think that's where the, the 10, the, the four tens versus the five, five and a halves. Same. I, to me, it's no, to me, it's a no brainer. Just do the four tens. Yep. It'll cost us. You double up your volume. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really now, where specifically I would lean. Besides this water stability is presentation. Looking at a tank from the, the short end in sucks, especially for shrimp because they're all going to be buried. You're only going to see a couple. Uh, if this is a bedroom tank, you're going to be sitting there at night. You're going to want to look at your, your shrimp and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I do what is a better presentation. Now, that being said, I have a rack filled with two and a half gallons uh, tanks, but they're the long way. So I have better presentation. So as long as the presentation fits, it fits on your shelf. It really doesn't matter. You can put them on tiny and tiny tanks. I didn't realize you guys had a problem with presentation in the bedroom. I mean, I, I, something's mm-hmm. got to distract. Otherwise, she's going to stare at my shrimp, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, for money-wise, 10-gallon tank's the way to go, size-wise. Bigger's better? That's what I you mean, guys were saying? Maybe. All right. Also, he's going he's gonna to have comments again. I love how the Howard Stern, or the guy that compared us to Howard Stern, got nothing but a bunch of bedroom jokes. So, uh, yeah. I, ho- I hope that burns. Yeah, I hope it hurts. <laughs> I hope it burns. No, we're just kidding. We love you. You appreciate us and you give us feedback. So that's love all we can ask time. for. Well, let's get into it. Uh, so, Matt, uh, we normally would always start asking you know, people, how did you get into the podcast? But I want to stop people here. We have a couple different podcasts with you in there. So certainly go back in our catalog. You can see uh, you're talking about uh, Amazonas Magazine. Uh, what was the other one you came on to talk about? Probably clownfish. Uh, no, no, that's that's this episode. There was one. Uh, Put down the drink, Matt. <laughs> there was one in between. I can't remember. My brain hurts, Jimmy. He was uh, probably it. he's probably talking, uh, trying to talk us to off to you know. You guys should really quit the podcast because you suck. And that's probably what that one was about. But yeah, this is our third date with Matt. Oh. So or, as yeah. in, as in third I dates, we clearly don't. swiped right. Oh, I know what it was. I think I know what it was. We talked yes, about the jars. Yes. Jars, the yes. Jar, the jars. God, thanks for showing up, Matt. Out of four of us, we couldn't remember what the heck it was. So certainly go back to those podcasts. You'll find them uh, arrayed of, through our podcasts. And in there, we do we get, learn more about Matt, well, his roles and responsibilities at Amazonas Magazine, and all the fun stuff he's done. Hey, he, he's even holding Coral Magazine, which, again, he's a part of as well. What was that? Spawning Night? Is that the you you pulled that one out just for us? This one I pulled out for every single reader. The January hey. February issue. Look at oh, those. Pull-ups. Okay. Look at and, those. And I want to see right those pull ups live. You can join us. Go to AquariumGrassPodcast.com. On the uh, bottom of the page, you'll find our Discord link. We do these Monday nights at seven central. So uh, come join the debauchery, and then you get to see Matt's polyps. And who wouldn't <laughs> want to see Matt's polyps? <laughs> Wow. I'm just saying, we got to get them in somehow, right? The podcast's not for the kids. They should know that by now. That's right. All right. So, Matt, uh, before we get into the deep dive topic of clowns and why you are such a prominent figure in the clown world, uh, what will it take, brass tacks here, uh, me to you, Jimmy to you, on us doing an article in either Coral Magazine or Amazonas about the elusive Poontang? You'd have to buy the magazine. Oh. Darn. Then you can publish whatever you want. All right. Well, wait, wait is this an option? Yeah. <laughs> Adam goes, Adam's got a lot of gold. Adam going, what's our budget on this? 
Enough money. <laughs> yeah, enough money. Do you, Everything's real, yeah. Do you take crypto and other assorted metals and possibly other things that are have no inherent value but street value? It's all over. Well, rather than berate you with silly conversation, uh, Matt, tell us uh, your experience with clownfish. How did you get started with specifically clowns? Oh, man. Uh, I was 12. Uh, first, I had my first saltwater aquarium when I was 10. I want to say when I was 12, my parents agreed to let me have a larger one. So I went from a 10 to a 30 long. And actually, no. My first fish was a clownfish or a second fish. I had a, a cinnamon clown um, in my 10. So I was 10 years old, had a 10 gallon saltwater tank, and I think it was a damsel, a yellowtail blue damsel, and then a, a cinnamon clown. Uh, second fish I ever kept on the saltwater side. And then um, when I was 12 and I had the larger tank I was talking about, um, uh, I got a pair of uh, Ocellaris clowns, common clownfish Nemo. And um, I was hoping to get them to spawn. I don't really know if they ever did or not. Um, but that was, I mean, I was a young kid, but even then breeding clownfish was a possibility. And uh, so that was, that was my second experience with clownfish. And then obviously my, given my, old, my uh, industry experience and all that, um, clownfish are just a staple of the trade. But the next time I personally kept clownfish, I was in my, uh, my mid twenties and uh, I was dating my wife at the time and we were living together and she said, uh, I was back in the trade for a bit, and she said, yeah, hey, it kind of would be cool to have a pair of clownfish. And I said, I could do that. And I think a week later, we had a tank, a tank at the house. I, you know, uh, And uh, then a, a pair of onyx perks uh, that I believe were collected in the Solomon Islands, but we don't really know. Um, and those spawned. Uh, those are the first clownfish that I reared uh, successfully. That was uh, back when Reef Central did a... Uh, Thread of the month. My clownfish breeding log was the one of the thread of the month, and then I got banned from the site like a week later. So, Why? <laughs> oh, because because uh, Reef Central and I don't know what their policies are anymore, but they had a a, a policy of you know you couldn't um, what was it? It was uh, you had to be a sponsor if you were a commercial seller, and marine fish breeders were determined uh, to all be commercial because the only reason anyone would ever want to try and breed a marine fish would be to make money, and which is ludicrous. And I, I remember you know, arguing back and forth. Uh, I had posted up a whole batch of clownfish for sale for like 50 bucks because they were super young and I needed their tank for quarantine because I had a velvet outbreak. And uh, so I think I put them up like two bucks a piece, just come take however many are here, try to rear them, they're like 17 days old. And I got slapped with the uh, the ban for being commercial. So when they lifted the temporary ban, I, I didn't take kindly to it, and I proceeded to, uh, you know, show my entire hatchery with my hardwood floors in my, uh, you know, loft condo in Chicago because that's the perfect place to start a marine hatchery, right? Yep. In their uh, natural yeah. habitat. I was not. <laughs> Did you? So and, you basically uh, told them to go fluke themselves. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We sell those t-shirts, by the way, Matt. Well, <laughs> I, might, I might need one. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's that that was you know kind of the, the gateway into marine fish breeding. Um, they weren't the first marine fish I bred, but they were the first uh, clownfish that I bred. And then 
it kind of goes, you know, full circle. Several years later, I was bre- I bred the Harlequin Filefish. Um, that was the first thing I ever published in Coral Magazine um, back then, just as a contributor. And then I think the reason most people know me now uh, in the clownfish world is uh, the lightning clownfish. Uh, and the reason that, to, to really be short on that story, the reason I ended up with that fish was because I had just accomplished what I had done with the, uh, the Harlequin Files. And I was writing a lot. And um, so I was already kind of in a position of, of prominence in that regard. And they approached me and said, uh, you know, we'd like you to, to see if you can breed this. And we know you'll write about it. And uh, I still cannot say how much I paid for it. It was the most expensive fish I ever bought. Uh, it took, I want to say it took about two years to get the offspring uh, and to have that project be a success. And as we were talking before we started, uh, every single lightning clownfish, uh, lightning maroon clown uh, in the world descends from that one fish. Now, the reason, that's, the, that's the nickel tour. So, so the reason you don't talk about how much you spent on that fish is because your wife's in the other room? Or you just can't tell us because you got to kill us? Uh, she knows, and she had to approve. I said, I said you know... This, this is not one you can hide. <laughs> this is not a round one you can hide. <laughs> so uh, I, I basically said, you know, they want me to do this, but I have to pay for the fish. They're not giving it to me. And um, I can say, I can say the highest publicly disclosed bid was $7,000. Um, <clears throat> so I can't say whether I paid more than that or less. Um, but uh, she basically, you know, I said, we could buy this and it could be dead in a week. And are you, are you okay with that? This is how this could all go down. And she said, I trust you. You, you know what you're doing. If you think it's a, a good thing, you think you can do this successfully, then you should do it. And we did. And it worked. Wonderful. So, so again, it was, it was, it was a big gamble. I mean, no one knew whether that mutation was going to be a genetic thing that would pass along to offspring. Um, and we, we, we've just got very lucky overall. This is such a unique story. I don't want to just glaze over it for those that are listening. How did you come into this, uh, into the, uh, know of this fish, how, how you were writing about it? You said, no, um, so I was, this is 2010. So I was already working, uh, with Coral magazine and, and kind of as a contributor and a senior editor, um, more of an honorary position at that point. I was still, I'm still very active uh, in the marine breeding community, although I'm not breeding any marine fish at the moment because my projects aren't working. It really was breeding the harlequin filefish, which I was the first person in the world to do that. For those who don't know, it's also the uh, uh, orange spotted filefish, that real bright teal filefish with the long nose and the orange polka dots all over it that uh, eats coral. So, you know, it's supposedly impossible to even keep alive. Uh, and so I had done that. And when you do something like that, that people... That's a very like, good article, by the way. Thank you. I, I think when you do something like that, people take notice. And they it, it gives you some street cred to, uh, you know, I had bred clownfish before, and I had bred something that no one else had done. And unfortunately, even though I put everything in that article, it still has never been repeated. It's to the point where I'm sitting thinking, I need to go do this again because no one else has been able to repeat what I did. So either I missed something about what I did, or I just need to prove that it wasn't just this, you know, couple times a success. Um, <clears throat> but because of all of that, and because of the people I was working with, um, the lightning maroon clownfish was collected 
in Papua New Guinea uh, by an operation called C-Smart. C-Smart was a, uh, an organization that was trying to establish a, uh, a very sustainable fishery with really good um, practices, basically, for, for having wild harvest. And so that we had a journalist, Rhett Talbot, in Papua New Guinea when this fish was collected. So pretty quickly, I think, I think his pictures were the first pictures that anyone saw of that fish. And they reached out to me and said, you know, we had some conversations behind the scenes. Who do you think should get this fish? Uh, why? What, what would you do with this fish if it was your choice? Uh, and that was, that was really coming from my marine, my marine breeding background and also having those, those connections uh, in the trade. And basically, through those connections, it basically ended up being, after a while, they said, we think we would like you to, to be the one to take this fish. Because it could go into a, a collector's um, tank to just sit there and be cool and collect a whole bunch of money, and that's it. That happens with a lot of the really unusual marine fish that are collected. There's a, I just saw it today. Um, I don't know if it's even really out there publicly or not, but there is a um, kind of a, a Singapore angel. Uh, Ketodonoplus uh, mesoleucus, and it is solid yellow and orange instead of the normal black and gray and tan. Uh, that was just collected today. And fish like that, a picture gets circulated on the internet, someone with really deep pockets says, I want that, and it ends up finding its way there, and that's the end of it. So that could have just as easily happened with this lightning maroon. Just didn't because the people who could decide who should buy it decided I should be the one to buy it. So it wasn't just about who had the most money. It was about who was going to do the most uh, with the fish, who's going to do the most for the hobby for sea smart in terms of the exposure it would bring. And we talked about this fish as being an ambassador from Papua New Guinea. Cause I still don't really get fish out of Papua New Guinea. Um, it was a fledgling attempt at creating a sustainable aquarium fishery there to to create something sustainable and economically beneficial uh, and ultimately it didn't work. And then another company followed and that fell through. And I think there was even a third effort that got started with some uh, 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 university uh, research was trying to kickstart an aquarium fishery in Papua New Guinea. And again, so there, there's, there's problems and they're actually more about logistics. Uh, it's the getting the fish from Papua New Guinea to the rest of the world that is the problem. Um, but that's how the lightning maroon ended up in my, in my hands and in my tanks. And, uh, so we talked about writing about it. I basically documented the, documented the entire experience in a blog, uh, lightning hyphen maroon hyphen clownfish.com, lightning dash maroon dash clownfish.com. Uh, we also call it the lightning project. And I think that that domain would work well too. Uh, lightning hyphen maroon hyphen clownfish.com will get you there um and that is the lightning project and that documents the entire progress of uh, from the fish showing up to uh you know almost losing it more than once uh all the problems with pairing it and trying to find the right mate and what would be the right mate for that fish um and uh, so I, so that was that was really the when we talk about writing, that was one of the things that was kind of people knew I would do, and it was kind of planted like we're going to give you this fish. It would be nice if you maybe started a blog about it. And I said, yeah, sure. So um, it was a it was a great opportunity to track a progress, 
track the progress of the project transparently so the whole world could watch it in real time. And obviously, the, the end of the story is known now, but it wasn't known then. That was uh, I, I had friends in, who were really high up in the industry. One of them pulled me aside one time and just kind of said, you know, it's pretty impressive. We all just assumed you were going to kill that fish. And it wasn't even... <laughs> It wasn't even a, a dig on me. It's just that wild wild clownfish are really hard to deal with a lot of times. They have a lot of disease problems. Um, and, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't they were really trying to sl- smack me down, but it was like I, I managed to be, a, a, you know, ahead of the curve on this one. So um, there that, was that, probably, that, a, probably a lot of side bets on from all your buddies. I, I have no idea. I, I wouldn't be aware. <laughs> I again before the podcast you were you're actually showing and telling us more of the lifespan. So you did this blog for for so long and now we're fast forwarding and uh maroon clowns essentially are uh kind of all over. So how did you disperse your you your, your your spawn, your lightning clowns? Oh, the, okay. So so I think we should probably step back just a moment to talk about what it is. Thank you. Um that would also who, help listeners. For people who don't <laughs> So regular maroon clownfish um, Right. Technically, three three variants, three geographic variants. There's um, a gold stripe maroon that comes from the Indian Ocean, which some people consider to be a different species. Um, it's a little more peaceful. Uh, maroons are generally considered pretty pretty aggressive clownfish and pretty pretty murderous. Then there's kind of an intermediate intermediary form. It's kind of in the Indonesia Philippines area. That's a white stripe that sometimes gets a gold crest on its head. And then at the more eastern edge of the range is a, is a white stripe form where the stripes are pretty narrow, uh, and that's where this one comes from. So ordinarily, the, the maroon clowns that come from this region have three thin white bars, uh, one at the head, one at the mid, middle of the body, and one at the caudal peduncle. Uh, and the lightning clownfish, the barring is all broken up. And it arcs and forms rings and circles and branches and looks like a web of lightning coming down uh, on the fish. So that's the difference. It's a different patterning. It's very, very striking. And ultimately, it proved to be genetic. Getting it out there was simply a matter of breeding the fish. Didn't know what kind of genetics were involved. You know, a lot of people thought it's a one-off, it's a disease or the, you know, it was a recessive trait, so like albinism, where you'd have to breed a couple generations to get it. Uh, it's not. It's it's uh, either partially dominant or actually a full-on dominant genetic. We had F1 uh, offspring. Uh, 25% of them had the gene uh, present. Actually, no. No, 50. I'm sorry. Um, it was 50. So that's, I have to go back and look up. Oh, that's a lot. That's quite was, a bit. It a, yeah, it was... It, is pretty pretty impressive. I think what we've kind of settled on from a genetic standpoint is that this one seems to work like a snowflake, uh, which is a different genetic that's in Ocellaris. And so it looks like, from all the data I have, um, it looks like two copies of this gene might kill the babies. It might not develop. So when we were breeding lightning to lightning, we were still getting some uh, white striped fish, but the ratio wasn't right. Uh, it was like a third white stripe and two thirds had lightning, so you're missing uh, a part of the population that should be there. So, anyways, um, yeah. So, I mean, as far as as far as those first fish, um, the retailer who ended up selling the fish to me 
was Blue Zoo uh, Aquatics, and uh, they're based out in California. And part of the part of the agreement with them was that I would uh, sell uh, all the first batch offspring. Uh, we would sell it through them. And when we finally got there, uh, we decided that the best way to do it was an eBay uh, auction. So the fish were released. Every single one is a what you see is what you get uh, in eBay auctions. And that was how the first wave of those fish went out. Uh, and they went to collectors. They went to breeders. They were selling for anywhere from 1000 up to, I think the highest was over 10000 So Ooh. the Blue Zoo, Blue Zoo got, their, got their, their cash. They had a good payday. Um, uh, and, uh, the fish got out there and now they're everywhere. Um, and any, anyone who can breed clownfish can just needs to get a lightning and they'll make more. So it's, you know, it, it's still just a clownfish. It's just a clownfish with a, a pretty gene. It is now your little corner of uh, genetic pool all, uh, help produced by yourself. Yeah, that is fantastic. So how long did this, uh, clownfish live? So the lightning maroon passed away in November of 2020. So we had it for about 10 years. And, and, and where she was an adult, right? She was, that was part of the problem going back to the beginning was she was at a size where she could have been either a male or a female and we weren't sure. So part of the thought process was, well, do we, do we try to pair this fish up with a really big maroon? And the reason was, what if another lightning comes along? Uh, we might need that genetics. We might need both of them. So for like the first year, we were trying to keep it in this male role. And part of the problem was we couldn't get more fish out of Papua New Guinea either because they started having problems with getting fish out. So uh, I was waiting for more genetics, more, more broodstock, more options, and nothing was coming. So after about the first year, I flipped it and said, we'll definitely let this fish become a female. So ultimately, she was a female. Um, and, but we have no idea how old that fish was uh, when I got it. It could have been two years old. It could have been 20 years old. We don't know. For those that are listening, we, we got to chit chat a little bit before the podcast. And uh, you have still preserved the, that first lightning clown. Yes. Yes. And for those who are watching, she's right there in the formalin. And ultimately, once things are a little bit better uh, weather-wise, she'll be shipped off to the California Academy of Sciences and the Steinhardt Aquarium. And what are they going to do with and, her there? Uh, so they're going to um, uh, re-preserve it, prepare it for long-term storage. Um, uh, they're also going to get uh, fin clips from her. We already have them in, in uh, uh, what's, what's Everclear. Since since I can't get uh, legitimate, like, you know, ethanol like you would have in a lab, we've got a, a thing of Everclear here. So um, fin clips of her, and then I also need to take fin clips of all of her offspring that are still here. I've, I've pretty much gotten rid of most of them, but I have a, a few culls that I held back because we didn't know what was, what was going to happen. Maybe I'd want to breed more. Um, they're everywhere now. I'm, I'm over it, but uh, um, I still have some culls. So what we're going to do is, is take fin clips uh, so that they, so that someone in the future, if they wanted to, could run genetic sequences on both her offspring that have the, the lightning gene which we are presuming is just one gene and then the regular white striped offspring as well. So um, all of those sampling samples are going to be taken and go off and be deposited in the museum uh, system. And then they'll be accessible to any scientist who ever wants access basically. Now, if every strain 
could start this way, we would have a <laughs> incredible library of uh, how fish adaptations have happened in our hobby. You you've, you wrote the book on this. Yeah, I hope I, you know. Like, take example for those who are listening. If you get a uh, access for you advanced hobby assistance to the podcast, take example. You know, uh, do it ethically to try to you know preserve the unique thing you have. Don't just trophy fish it. Uh, th- this is clearly a passion project for Matt, and we're lucky enough to have him document every iota of this. It's interesting because people would consider this a, a designer clownfish. Okay, so. Um, it's not, it's not a wild type, uh, and coming from my various backgrounds of like, uh, keeping cichlids, for example, where you got to know exactly what it is. Even, you know, Stuart Grant's eye from one reef is different at the next reef over in Malawi. It's, uh, my interest in clownfish was kind of trending towards the biogeographic diversity of clownfish. And we covered that in coral, uh, to, to a, a fair extent. But what I also saw, uh, I think what, what changed things for me is I used to hate this fish uh, that we call a Picasso percula. And Picasso percula is a clownfish that has kind of wavy barring, and they, sometimes they merge and connect. Uh, and I used to say it's going to be the, the death of the regular three-stripe clownfish. Everyone's going to want to buy this really fancy Picasso and a regular old clownfish with normal stripes. No one's going to want, and we're going to lose it. Um, and that was so that was my stance for at least a few years as a marine fish breeder is that these were bad. We shouldn't do this. But then I came to learn how the Picasso clownfish came into existence. The Picasso was found in the wild in the Solomon Islands. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it's still alive, but five years ago, 10 years ago, I know it was still alive at ORA. It was just part of the natural biodiversity of clownfish in the Solomon Islands, just like the, the lightning maroon is an aberration that has now been seen. It was, there was one collected in 2008. We didn't even talk about that. Um, this was not the first one. This was the second one that was found. Um, the first one didn't, didn't make it. Um, so this is, this is natural. Uh, you know, whether, whether a mutation shows up in a tank or in the wild, it's part of nature. So it really it, it caused me to rethink my my stance uh, in thinking, oh, this is just outright bad. Um, I I was still very outspoken. I didn't want people hybridizing uh, a lightning, uh, which is a white stripe form from Papua New Guinea, with gold stripes because obviously the 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 light bulb goes off. Oh well, if I have white little lightning bolts going down the side of my fish. Maybe I can get little yellow lightning bolts going down the side of my fish. Um, and so you can see people's wheels turning without thinking about the consequences of doing that. Um, and basically it, what followed was for a few years, this kind of war path of people who were starting to get these fish and me being like, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. I can't tell you not to do it, but I really, here's why I don't think you should. And uh, it's been done. And of course it didn't turn out way anyone wants it to which is not a surprise and my understanding of how the the color patterning works in these fish i could kind of see it wasn't going to happen the way people wanted it to um it still could happen if they do enough refinement but i consider those two fish different species you can't undo that that hybridization that's happened so unfortunately what what i think where we fall short uh is that even with all that foreshadowing and all that 
understanding of, hey, let's try to do it differently this time. Let's keep these pure to the biogeography from where they come from. Uh, let's create that that little bit of an arc, if you will, um, with a captive population. Ultimately, it's just a domesticated clownfish. I think is if you're going out and buying a lightning maroon now, I wouldn't be surprised if most of them have kind of mixed up backgrounds and you're just buying a, a fish that looks nice. Oh. So, Matt, how many times did this particular female uh, spawn for you? And, and approximately how many babies do you think you got out of her? Um, I didn't rear most of them. Um, I think she, I, for a while, I was just tracking spawns. I think I stopped when I was like at like the 50 mark. I was like, ah, this is just not worth it. So uh, unfortunately, what, what ended up happening is shortly after this happened, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this uh, this podcast before, but we had a really bad winter storm damage here in Duluth um, on our house. And we spent basically an entire year fighting with State Farm to get the house repaired. Um, and uh, State Farm was like, you got to get tanks out of your house. And, blah, blah, blah. and so I had to literally... Uh, that was why I stopped breeding freshwater angelfish, stopped breeding anything really for that year while dealing with that headache. So I didn't, I didn't rear very many and it, I, you know, it, I should have, I should have reared more, but me as a marine fish breeder, breeding clownfish is kind of not really what I want to do with my time. So it was an interesting project and that's why I took it uh, because it really opened up my mind to different ways of thinking about designer clownfish and about the future of the hobby uh, on the marine side as it pertains to breeding marine fish and understanding the, the importance of biogeography. Um, so I was excited about those aspects of it, but, uh, you know, I really wanted to be breeding angelfish and other things like that. And so I got my clownfish out there. Other people started producing them pretty quickly. I was like, I, I just don't need to see the need. I kept, I mean, I, for, for a while, I did think about sending her to one of the commercial operations. Uh, and it was actually as recently as COVID, uh, when COVID hit, I was like, ah, maybe I should just send her somewhere else. And then, uh, unfortunately, time caught up with her and so she's no more. But there's plenty of lightning maroons out there, so. Heck yeah. So let's, we've, we've talked about this in great detail. And trust me, uh, I'm going to have a ton of people thanking me for this because I already know that that they've been asking for this specific story and getting more in detail. So thank you again for that. Thanks guys for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found, like subscribe and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone. So you don't miss great content like this. (laughs) Don't even get me started on this.